Well, this morning we are uh, continuing our uh, study through uh, the gospel of Mark today. We're in Mark, Mark chapter 5. And uh, before we turn to God's word, let me uh, uh, just say a welcome to any of you that are, are visiting with us uh, this morning. And we're uh, so glad to uh, have you here at Christ Church. And uh, we hope we, you feel uh, Jesus' uh, grace and welcome as you uh, worship with us. And we just encourage you, uh, we would love to get you connected to our community. And if, uh, and if you'd uh, come back on another Sunday, we, we would love to get to know you better. And, um, and uh, my name's Nate. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, Matt, who's uh, playing guitar this morning, also... Uh, uh, he's one of our pastors. We'd love to connect with you if you want to come talk to us after the, the service. And uh, uh, we'd love to help you get plugged in here at Christ Church. So um, we're going to uh, read God's Word now together. And so we're in Mark chapter 5. And you can follow along right there uh, in the bulletin. Uh, this is the Word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. And imploring him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there uh, came from the ruler's house uh, some who said, uh, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They uh, came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and uh, Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha, kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for the hope of Easter. And Lord, in a world where we face uh, so much uh, discouragement, disappointment, suffering, we pray that you would give us faith uh, to believe in such a wild hope that Jesus is alive and what you've done for him, you would do for us too. And Lord, we long for that power uh, that we read about in this passage, that power that, um, that came upon Christ on Easter morning would, would come upon us as well. And so we pray uh, that you would be our teacher and take these words that they would inspire life and hope in us this morning. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Easter. And, um, you know, my impression is that many people, both Christians and non-Christians, uh, misunderstand what Easter is all about. Because for many people, what Easter is about, is about the hope that there is a, a, a life after the grave. You know that when you die, you hear about people when they have a near-death experience and their soul is kind of floating towards the light. And it, those kind of rumors tell us, oh, maybe you have an existence after your body dies. But it turns out when you read the, uh, the Easter stories, Easter is not about what happened to Jesus' body after he, or Jesus' soul after he died. Easter is about what happened to Jesus' body. The tomb was empty. And anyone can tell you that, you know, when you die, your soul goes off to the netherworld or to the spiritual place and you'll be there forever. And you could say, well, that might be true. Who could ever prove that? Who could ever verify that? But it is a far more wild thing to say that after Jesus was dead for three days, his body was raised to an indestructible life and his body is now in heaven. There is a human body in heaven. And what God did for Jesus when he raised his body to an indestructible life, he is going to do for us at the end of history when he makes all things new in nature and will live in his presence uh, physically forever and ever. That is an incredibly wild thought. But that is what Easter is about. Easter is not about our souls. It's about the physical reality of being human. The physical nature being, being healed. And my hope is this morning to show you that this belief of Easter has profound implications on how we live our lives and how we view the worlds uh, around us. And in this passage that I just read to you, it tells the story of, of Jesus resuscitating a girl who had died. She's a 12-year-old girl who had died. And the reason I say she was resuscitated was because she eventually died. You know, she wasn't raised to an indestructible life. She was raised to her old kind of life. But why did Jesus do miracles like the one that we read about in this passage? is because it's a small preview of what would happen on Easter. Jesus is giving a hint to us that he has the keys of death and Hades. He has the key to death. And, uh, and this little hint uh, awakens our wonder at what God has done for us on Easter morning. And so this morning, I'd like to point out three profound truths for us from this passage about the meaning of Easter. Three truths this morning about Easter, and this is what they are. That Easter answers our deepest questions. That Easter tells us the truest fairy tale. And that Easter heals our dearest relationships. Easter answers our deepest questions. It tells us the truest fairy tale. And that Easter heals our dearest relationships. What is Easter about? Three truths from this passage in Mark chapter 5 this morning. I hope it's a source of of joy to you Easter morning. So, three truths, and the first is this. Easter answers our deepest questions. Easter answers our deepest questions. And what is the deepest question in human life? If you were here on Good Friday, we talked about it. The deepest question is, if there is a good and loving God, then why is there so much suffering in my life and in the lives of so many people in the world? What, what is God doing about all the suffering that's in the world? And the answer, the Bible's answer to that is Good Friday and Easter is God's answer to the problem of evil. And you'll notice how this passage begins in verse 21. How it says, 
And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. So the first character that we meet in this story is a man named Jairus. He's a community leader. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He's uh, intelligent. He's respected. He's moral. Um, he's also um, uh, probably wealthy. He's not just the leader of a church. He's probably more like a civic leader in, in the community. And he's the kind of person that many people would have said, you know, if there's anyone who's got it together in their life, it's Jairus. And if there's anyone who has a happy life in this world, it's Jairus. Well, that wasn't the case for him. Because you see what it says next in verse 23. And it says, And Jairus implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Here's a man with confidence, strength, competence. You know, men love to feel competent in things and in control of things. But there is, uh, if there is one thing in life that makes you feel powerless is if you have a child who is sick and you cannot heal them and you can't do anything about it. You can't fix that problem. And it's in uh, settings like these that people often ask their deepest questions. If there is a good and loving and powerful God, then why are we suffering? Why, is, why are 12-year-old girls getting sick to the point of death, like in this story? That's the question he's asking. And God's answer is basically the whole Bible is God's answer. You know, the Bible says what God has done, is doing, and, and will do about the suffering that has happened in the world. And it's a complicated answer. If you thought it would be a simple answer, it's a complicated answer. So we got this great big book. But when Jesus begins to answer these uh, deepest questions for Jairus, uh, what does it look like? Well, there's two things I want to point out, okay? The way that Jesus answers it for him is, first of all, he leads Jairus to worship, when we are faced with the questions, how could a good and loving God let the kind of suffering that's experienced in my life happen? The only way to resolve that is through worship. And uh, you, you see that here where this leader of his community, suffering is in fear. And the second part of verse 22, you see what it says? And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is a description of worship. He's bowing down before Jesus, saying to Jesus, I worship you. And it wasn't until he faced these deep problems in his life that he finally came to the Lord and said, Lord, your ways are not my ways. I can't explain you. I can't fix my life. All I can do is fall down and worship before you and trust that you are good. And worship is often the opposite of what we want to do when we have hardship and trials and suffering happen in our life. We want control of the situation. We want to do something that will fix the situation. But you cannot face the problem of evil and suffering without being willing to worship. But some of you will hear that and you'd say, okay, we can worship Jesus, but can he give us any more than that? You know, he wants us to trust him, but can he tell us anything about what he's going to do? And yes, he does. Because after Jairus falls down to worship him, the second thing that we see is that Jesus gives him a preview of what will happen later. Jesus gives a preview of what will happen later. And uh, clearly in this passage, Jesus is aware of what's stirring inside of, of Jairus. Because you'll notice when Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house to meet this little girl, it says there in verse 35, 
While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So there's people who come and they say, you know, don't even worry about it. Don't even hope. It's all over. Your, your daughter is dead. And I love the next line where it says that Jesus, uh, overhearing what they said, Jesus is aware of the people that would want to speak discouragement into our lives and tell us that there's no hope. He's aware of it. And it's as if Jesus says to Jairus, he says, look at me. Hear what I'm going to say. Do not fear, only believe. And the reason he can say that is because he just gave Jairus a preview of what he would do. You notice when I read this passage that we skipped some of the verses from verses 25 to verse 34. And that was the passage that we looked at last week where Jesus healed this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And then we find out later that Jairus' daughter was how old? 12 years old. There's a parallel. And what Jesus is basically saying to Jairus, you just saw me heal this woman who'd had this disease for 12 years. If I can heal her, how much more can I raise your 12-year-old daughter back to life? He's giving a preview of what he's going to do later. And actually, that's exactly what Easter is. Easter is a preview of what God is going to do on a small scale of what he's going to do on a big scale at the end of history. The Bible tells us at the end of history what, what uh, the Lord did for Jesus when he raised his body from the dead. He is going to do for all people who belong to Jesus. And actually he's going to do for the whole created order is going to be re, uh, renewed and resurrected into an indestructible renewed life. Free from sin, free from suffering, free from death. This is an incredible history, an incredible mystery. And so Easter answers the deepest questions of life about what is God doing about suffering, and it, call, and it answers it by calling us to worship and trust him because he's given us a preview in the past of what he promises to do in the future. Now, when we look at this little preview, we get a preview of the future on Easter, what does it tell us? Well, uh, that's our second point this morning. So not only that Easter answers our deepest questions, but second, that Easter tells the truest fairy tale. Easter is the true fairy tale. And this story in Mark that we just read is maybe more than any of Jesus' um, miracles that he does is the one that sounds like a, a fairy tale to me. Um, you'll see what it says there in verse 38 where it says that they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And here comes Jesus who says that death can somehow be transformed into a sleep. It's like sleeping beauty. And all you need is the right prince to come along to awaken sleep and beauty. And Jesus is the right prince who can come and who has the power to uh, awaken sleep and beauty who's in this, this long death sleep. And what stories like this should do for us is it opens our eyes to the reality that you and I are living in a fairy tale. You and I are living in a magical story. And uh, one of the writers who has taught me this, G.K. Chesterton, he, he had a book about how he became a Christian. It's called Orthodoxy. And one of the things Chesterton says in Orthodoxy is this. He said, I had always believed that the world involved magic. Now I thought that perhaps it involved a magician. That's God. 
And this pointed a profound emotion always present in subconscious that this world of ours has some purpose. And if there's a purpose, there's a person. I had always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story, there is a storyteller. Chesterton says the reason he came to believe in God is because he knew that he was living in a story. And Easter is telling us the true fairy tale. And you might think, you know, oh, that's so cute that Christians believe we're living in a fairy tale. And we recognize, you know, people back in the Bible days believed in fairy tales and people rising from the dead. And we're, you know, now modern people. And you just got to face the cold, hard facts that we know that that's not true anymore. And you got to grow up and you got to let go of those childish fairy tales and face the facts of reality. Well, uh, it turns out that there have always been people who have been cynical about the fairy element of reality. And we see that even in this passage. It, in fact, this passage always puzzled me because, you know, Jesus comes in to this funeral basically and says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And you see what it says there in verse 40. And it says, and they laughed at him. I always thought this was so strange. Here's a funeral, and a guy comes in and says, oh, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And everyone's, you know, wailing and, and grieving and crying and sorrowful. And then they just start laughing. And I was like, why are they laughing? Is that what they would do? Well, I looked at this word, how this word for laughing is used at other places in the Bible. And in every other place, it really means to ridicule or to mock. These are people who are hurting. And they've heard about hope. And there's a cynical, bitter element in them that says, you know, it's not fun laughter. This is ridicule laughter. And it's very similar to our culture. And the reason our culture ridicules and mocks stories like this in the Bible is because we're just so used to the world and we've lost the wonder at the strangeness and magic of the world that God has actually made. I mean, you just think about what we're doing right now. I'm a talking animal. You're all talking animals. Talking animals only exist in fairy tales. You know that. Talking animals only happen, and you and I are both talking animals. We're living in a fairy tale. Or you even think about what we're doing. I have all these ideas in my head, and I make some sounds, and now the ideas are in your head. How did they get there? If you, you, know, if you scanned all the molecules in the air between my mouth and your ear, would you find an idea somewhere in there? No. You Science does not explain how my ideas got into your head. It's magic. We are living in a magical world. And I've been, uh, I've been reading recently a biography of, of St. Francis of Assisi, who was, uh, lived in the 12th century in Italy. And uh, St. Francis grew up in a rich family, and then uh, he uh, you know, devoted himself to poverty and to serving the Lord and, and serving the poor. And uh, St. Francis lived basically at the end of the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages were the period from the, the, the fall of the Roman Empire up until Europe became basically a Christian civilization. And, uh, and in the Roman Empire of the ancient world, there was a deep wonder at the magic of nature in the world we lived in. But what that caused the people of the Roman Empire to do was to worship nature. And so they littered their whole civilization with all kinds of gods. There was the sun god and the moon god and the river god and the, you know, the corn king and the god of the sea and the god of the wind and the god of sex and the god of weather and worshiping all of uh, the creatures instead of the creator. And it darkened their minds and their hearts so this civilization became absolutely brutal. 
And so the Lord, in order to change the world, it was as if he had to just level that whole civilization and get rid of all the gods of nature. And so during the Dark Ages, the monasteries of Western Europe taught people to worship not the creature, but the creator. But after many centuries of this, St. Francis came, and it was time for the Christian wonder and imagination at nature to, to be reignited. And so uh, St. Francis is famous for the, the songs that he would write about nature. We sing one of his songs in our church. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. It's an amazing song where he envisions all of nature, all the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the turtles and the kangaroos and all the people with gentle and tender hearts like this giant choir singing praise to their creator. That's what nature is. It's like a choir. And, and so what St. Francis insisted is that the sun is not his God. The sun is his brother and the moon is his sister. And all the birds that are singing songs are singing songs with him in praise to God. And actually, there's this story about uh, Francis. Uh, later in his life, he had a, some kind of eye disease that caused him to lose his sight. And so there was a kind of gruesome medieval procedure where they would, uh, you know, take a hot iron to cauterize uh, their eyes. And this was going to happen to St. Francis. And so just before this procedure, it's reported that he said, Brother Fire, God made you beautiful and strong and useful. I pray you be courteous to me. The fire was his brother. He respected it. Not as his God, but as his fellow creature that was made to glorify God. And what Easter does and what St. Francis does is it reignites our wonder and amazement at the natural world that we are living in a fairy tale where birds sing praise to their creator and death can be softened into a sleep. Because I said at the beginning, Easter is not about Jesus' soul. Easter is about Jesus' body. It's about the physical world. It's about nature. And actually, 1 Corinthians tells us when Jesus' body was raised from the dead, it was the first fruits of a new creation. God was going to do for the whole creation what he did for Jesus' body. It's the preview. And uh, C.S. Lewis has pointed out that, you know, in the ancient world, there were many stories of God's that died and then rose again. But all of those stories, they happened who knows when. They kind of happened in the dark past of legend. No one actually believes that those stories happened. That's not at all true with the gospel story. All, um, all historians, whether they're Christians or not, believe Jesus Christ was a man who was crucified in Jerusalem, we know the city, on April 7th, 30 A.D., we know the day under Pontius Pilate, who we know was a governor in Judea during that time. We know the names of people who talked with him and ate with him after he was raised from the dead. This is not a legend. This is history. And what Lewis says is that Easter is finally the true myth. It's finally the true fairy tale. There was once on this earth the man who made the world. And he bore all of our sins on a cross, and he reversed death, and he is now enthroned in heaven, and he's the true king of heaven and earth. That's the fairy tale that you and I are a part of, it, and it's the true fairy tale. And you might think, that's amazing. That's what Easter's about, is <laughs> all that. 
It answers the deepest questions of our life. Will things be made right in the end? It answers our deepest questions and it opens our eyes to the fairy tale that we are all living in. But there is a third reason that Easter is actually the greatest news that the world has ever known. And that's our third point today. So Easter answers our deepest questions. Easter tells the truest fairy tale. But third, Easter heals our deepest relationships. Easter heals our deepest relationships. And it's been said that every good story is about love and death. If you're writing a novel or you're writing a, you know, a screenplay, your story better be about love and death. If it's not about love and death, why are you wasting your time? There's really nothing else that matters really in this world except for love and death. Every story has to be about it. And when you realize that Easter is the center of human history, when the Son of God came with unimaginable love for sinners to die for them, and then he conquers death, you realize why every story has to be about love and death is because every good story is actually hinting to us the one true story that we're all a part of, which is Good Friday and Easter. Love and death, the conquering of death. And Easter is not just about conquering death, it's about love. Because it heals our relationship with God, it heals our relationships with each other. Because if you think about what is the real tragedy of death, is the tragedy of death the pain of it? No. The tragedy of death is that the people that we love are gone and we lose them. It's a severing of relationship. And you see how Jesus is aware of that in this passage. You look at verse 40 where it says, And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. The father and the mother of this daughter who just died, they weren't laughing. Everyone else is ridiculing Jesus and they say, we're not going to laugh. This isn't funny. And in fact, the focus of this whole story is really on the parents. You know, we don't know the daughter's name. Whose name do we know? Jairus. We know the father's name because Jesus knows he's the one who's about to lose this relationship, this dear daughter that he loves. And the mood of this whole scene is just tender love and relationship. I love even Jesus' words to this girl in verse 41. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. I'm just amazed that raising the dead can be done so gently. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And then he even says, go get her something to eat. She needs something to eat. She's just been raised from the dead. Easter is about the healing of the relationships that matter most to us. And I, I read a book a, a, f a few years back by Luke Ferry. Luke Ferry's a, a French uh, philosopher. He's an atheist. And he wrote a, a great little book called A Brief History of Thought. And it basically goes through the history of philosophy. And he says, the whole purpose of philosophy through history is humans trying to come to terms with how do we live in light of our impending death? And he starts with the Greeks, and then he has a chapter on, the, on uh, Christianity, and it goes all the way through the modern period of postmodernism and deconstruction. But then in the final three pages of his book, here's this atheist. He can't help but return to the promise of Easter. And in those closing statements, he brings himself to admit these words. You might object that compared to the doctrine of Christianity whose promise of the resurrection of the body means that we shall be reunited with those we love after death. He says resurrection is about being reunited with people that we love after death. He says, 
uh, in comparison to that, a humanism without metaphysics, that's his philosophy that he's come to, is small beer. My philosophy can't compare. And then he says, I grant you that amongst the available doctrines of salvation, nothing can compete with Christianity. Nothing can compete with Easter. What he realizes is that Easter is not just about living forever. It's about the love of our dearest and deepest relationships being healed and being healed forever. That we're going to run and hug and kiss and eat together and laugh and sing with our bodies. And he admits that nothing in the world even pretends to compete with Easter. And no one else is even pretending to offer you something like Easter. Who in the world would offer you the resurrection of your body? No one else can except for Jesus Christ. And why can Jesus be the only one who could possibly offer you such a hope? Because he's the one who has already done it. It's already happened once. And so when we ask that question, if God is really good and powerful, what would he do in this world filled with suffering? That's our deepest question. And if your life is really a part of a true fairy tale, what would your life be like if you were living in a fairy tale? Well, how do fairy tales go? Well, you would live in a strange and foreign land, which is what you're living in right now, a broken foreign world where you never quite feel at home and you always feel alien. And you'd have trial after trial and you'd take all kinds of missed turns and you'd have disappointments and you would have certain points where you came to such utter despair that you felt that you had no hope. And then by some happy magic, in the, in the end, everything would be made right. That's how, t- that's how fairy tales go. That's what you're living in. That means, it doesn't mean that your suffering is not real and really painful. It means that you are living in a story. And it's a story that God is writing. And the story is good. And on the last day, when your body is raised from the dead and you stand before your Savior and tears are pouring down your eye and you say, truly, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Goodness and mercy have followed me every day of my life. You will be filled with supreme joy and you say, God, I know is good. Friends, there is nothing like Easter and there is no one like Jesus. And so may the joy and hope of Easter fill your heart, fill your mind, fill your relationships today. And with all creatures, join together and sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we are filled with awe that before the world was made, you planned that though sin and suffering would spread through this world, you'd send your own son And he would come to us and bear our sins and he would conquer death. And Lord, we are gathered here that though this life feels so mysterious and hard and filled with trials, we believe that Jesus is alive. And Lord, we will wait for the day of his coming. We will wait for the day when all things are made new. We will believe in this hope. Lord, we will not laugh in ridicule. We will laugh Enjoy, because we believe and because we trust you and we know that you are good. 
In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.